Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning, and it is a Friday and a wonderful day to pause and reflect and pray for our country because there's so much going on always in politics, in law, in everything that we look around us. And, and I think it's easy for a lot of people to get discouraged, uh, be scared, be frustrated. And um, and the Lord says, you know, to be still and know in these moments that he is the Lord. And Psalm 46 is a wonderful expression from uh, the director of music and uh, to the Lord saying, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. The nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob, our fortress. And this psalm is always such an encouragement to me, uh, particularly when God tells us to be still and know that he is the Lord, because no matter what is going on in the world, we know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still on the throne. And we can look at a lot of things going on in our nation and uh, be fearful, be discouraged, but uh, the Lord is still on the throne and his sovereignty still persists. And uh, the Lord also says in Deuteronomy 13, 4, serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice and cling to him. And in times like this, and no matter what we face as Christians uh, in our life, in our culture, no matter uh, whatever befalls us, we have to continue to know that our chief end of man, our chief uh, goal in our lives is to come into a saving knowledge of the Lord, to know him and to help others uh, know him as well. Uh, that's the entire purpose. And so we have to look beyond um, all of the things and all of the the worries that plague uh, the daily individual. And I, and I always just think, can you imagine navigating life not a Christian? How hopeless and desperate and fearful would that be? But we have joy in the Lord regardless of any of our circumstances because we know him and we know that his promises will always remain 
true. So uh, what does that mean for the Christian life and how uh, we look at, at culture? Well, we still have to teach the truth of God and we have to know what's going on in our culture and even in politics and respond biblically and respond with the Christian worldview. And, and I have three stories this morning that I want to share with you that are just utterly absurd that our culture is uh, actually promulgating. And, and this is just so bizarre. And I was laughing so hard last night when I read uh, this one, which I'll start with, that, that, I, that I just can't believe we're here as a culture. And of course, we have to push back and respond with biblical truth. Uh, so this first story comes from PETA. Of course, the uh, the organization <laughs> that I think stands for people eating tasty animals. Um, that's not really what it stands for, but uh, you know, PETA does some some good work because obviously we all know that God's creation uh, should be valued, should be respected. We should be good caretakers of our world around us. Uh, but we, as God's creation, should worship the Creator. We should not be worshiping the creation. And that's when we get into trouble. <laughs> and and PETA uh, put out this press release, and this was actually back in May, but I somehow just came across this uh, today, and, and I haven't even seen this. It, it probably just people ignored this. But the headline is, PETA goes biblical with chat GPT vegan rewrite of the book of Genesis. <laughs> so um, and if you get Genesis one through three wrong, then you get everything else wrong because God is the author of all things has clearly told us in his word in the beginning, God created. And that is the standard and the truth for everything else, including the foreshadowing and ultimate fulfillment of the truth of the gospel of Christ and how we can come into a saving knowledge of our relationship with our creator. Uh, so PETA is trying to uh, rewrite the book of Genesis. And here's what their press release says. In the beginning, all animals were treated with respect, according to PETA, which has given the Bible's book of Genesis a modern makeover. Using ChatGPT to send a can't-be-missed animal rights message filled with vegan teachings, PETA hopes the new cruelty-free story of creation will appeal to Generation Z, or Gen Zers, 73% of whom identify as animal rights activists. In the book, PETA's version of the creation story, animals are referred to as beings rather than beasts or creatures, and plant fibers like hemp and bamboo are used in place of animal skins for clothing, as no one with any fashion or moral sense, according to PETA, would wear animal skins in the 21st century. Among other new interpretations in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham tra travels to the land of Moriah and befriends a gentle lamb to show his reverence and respect for God's creation rather than slaughtering a ram to demonstrate his faith. Much as human sacrifice, once a reality is now outlawed all over the world. So this goes on, and, and I'll continue reading this in a moment, but consider how PETA is intentionally and this isn't just ironically or trying to to say, you know, we're promoting uh, veganism and we're promoting animal rights. I mean, animal rights in the sense that we all know we shouldn't be cruel to animals. And there are ways that 
uh, obviously modern society is cruel to animals um, in a way that I don't believe reflects uh, a the love that God has for his creation, including animals. But to change these particular things is on purpose trying to not only pervert the truth of the Bible, but pervert the truth of the gospel. Because uh, let's take this first thing. Animals are referred to as beings rather than beasts or creatures. The obvious reading of this would say, well, PETA is trying to elevate animals to be like humans. But really what they're trying to do in the worldview that is perpetuated in this piece is trying to devalue humans. Because human beings are God's only creation that bear his image. We are distinct from the animal kingdom. And so beasts and creatures are distinct from man. Man is not a beast. Man is not an animal. And the left would tell you that we are just a higher evolved version of the animal kingdom, that because we can be classified in a um, species or genus as as mammals and, and so forth, that somehow this makes us part of the animal kingdom. We aren't, and the Bible clearly teaches that in Genesis. And so to elevate animals to the status of being is really to demoralize mankind and have a lower view of human beings that bear God's image purposefully. And that is what the culture is teaching. And that's exactly what PETA is trying to project in this. And then to say that uh, plant fibers like hemp and bamboo are used in place of animal skins for clothing is specifically and intentionally trying to negate the purpose of why God specifically told Adam to cover with an animal skin, because that was after the fall in Genesis 3, and when sin and the curse of sin came into the world and showed us then our need and ultimately uh, projected down the road for when Christ would take on flesh and come uh, to be the propitiation for our sin. And so all of these things that PETA is doing, and, and this is just a, a honestly hilarious article when you first read it, and it's up at PETA.org. It's their, uh, it's their press release from May 3rd of 2023. But if you get beyond the, the obvious hilarity of it, really what the left is trying to do purposefully is to tear down the truth. And they are intentionally going into God's word and trying to change that so that it's negating each and every intentional part of God's truth and to disclaim and excise God from society. And, and this is why we have to, as Christians, be so culturally attuned to the false doctrines that are being perpetuated by our culture that we can respond with truth. And, and it's not enough to just say, well, this is PETA and obviously it's ridiculous. We have to be so knowledgeable about the truth of God and why God's word is true. It's accurate and it's sufficient to show us our need for a savior that we can respond to things like this with the truth and explain why it's not okay 
that PETA is perverting the gospel through chat GPT. And, and PETA's president uh, says this, the Bible has long been used to justify all forms of oppression. So we've used chat GPT to make it clear that a loving God would never endorse exploitation or cruelty to animals. It took God only six days to create the entire world, but we realized it would take us years to rewrite the whole Bible, which is why we've just started with the first book. All right, think about this. She's saying, this, this president of PETA, that the Bible has been used to justify all forms of oppression. So we're going to then change and pervert the Bible because we believe that a loving God would never endorse exploitation of or cruelty to animals. And so they are projecting their own image of what they believe a loving God is or should be. Do you see that all over the culture? I do, especially on social media, especially from people who love to say, well, you're not a good enough Christian or you're a fake Christian or, you know, all of these other things. And my response to them is always, you know, it's fascinating to me that the God that you don't trust for salvation or even believe in, you are completely convinced that you know what he wants for my life, right? I mean, that that's what they're doing. And it's, it's absolutely absurd that they think that a loving God who they don't even believe in, they can change to modify into their own image of what they project a loving God would endorse. And then they say it took God only six days to create the entire world. Well, if you believe that, then you better believe what God says about how he created, why he created and that this isn't about justifying forms of oppression. I mean, that is a cultural Marxist view. Of everything that is wrong with this entire cultural false perspective is in that one statement. And we're already out of time for this segment, but you really need to read this because it goes on to say that they revised chapter 21, Abraham and Sarah, that when they conceived their child's, child Isaac, they added to their growing family by adopt, adopting a dog named Herbie. Yes, this is just so ridiculous. And when we face things like this in culture, we have to be prepared to push back with the truth of the gospel of Christ and what the Bible actually says. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. Well, speaking of our culture rotting to the core, as uh, Todd Stearns just said there in the break, uh, we are talking about culture absolutely rotting and intentionally perverting the truth of God, the truth of our creator, and how we as Christians need to be concerned with what our culture is teaching because they are intentionally teaching a false gospel. They are teaching intentionally false doctrines. And we need to be able to rightly divide truth from non-truth and be able to respond to these absolutely, utterly absurd fictions in the culture with truth and have such knowledge of the truth of God that we can identify false doctrine, that we aren't taken in by it and we're not tossed to and fro by every new thing that comes up. And that we can, so the first thing is to identify it, 
Because if we don't know what the truth is, then we are not going to have a standard by which we can compare the lies of the culture and recognize when the culture is not falling in line with truth. So we have to first know the truth, then we can contrast and compare what the culture is teaching and say, yeah, that's a lie. Yeah, that's not true. And then we can respond with truth and have an answer for the hope that lies within us as Christians. And we can continue to be that shining light into a dark world and bring the truth of the gospel of Christ. So we're talking about a couple of stories this morning from culture rather than politics and how uh, our culture has just gone totally insanely absurd. And and Todd Stern said it well, our culture is rotting to the core. And uh, speaking of rot, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is, uh, as, as my good friend Matt Walsh, calls an alleged science communicator, and I think that's a perfectly apt description of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, he claimed recently on a podcast uh, that gender is on a spectrum. This is not a new false doctrine, but is one that continues to be perpetuated by the cultural Marxists that want to intentionally, again, tear down uh, humanity and take away the image of Christ that we as human beings bear. And part of the reason, uh, and I believe the chief reason, that the culture is attacking humanity in terms of human sexuality and sex and talking about gender being on a spectrum is because they are trying intentionally and purposefully to negate God in us. And we know from scripture that every human being is made in God's image. We are the only creation of God that bears his image. We are set apart. And when our culture is trying to make us mere like the animals, mere creation, uh, mere blobs that evolved from goo, they are intentionally trying to take away and diminish that image of God in humanity. And so Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, who calls himself a scientist and uh, believes that he's talking about fact of, of science, uh, for some reason was on this podcast and the, and the conversation is, is now turning to gender being on a spectrum. And this is what Neil deGrasse Tyson is saying about gender being on a spectrum. I want you to listen to this really carefully because there are so many lies in just this like one, one minute, 15 second clip. This is cut three. My point is, apparently, the XXXY chromosomes are insufficient. Because when we wake up in the morning, we exaggerate whatever feature we want to portray the gender of our choice. Mm. Either the one you're assigned, the one you choose to be, whatever it is. And so now, here, so so now just to, to tie a bow on this, I say to you, somewhere I read, somewhere I I think I read that the United States was a land where we have the pursuit of happiness. Yes. Suppose no matter my chromosomes, today I feel 80% female, 20% male. I'm gonna gonna put on makeup. I'm gonna do that. Um, Tomorrow I might feel 80% male. I'll remove the makeup and I'll wear a muscle shirt. Why do you care? Yeah. What 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 business it is it of yours to require that I fulfill 
your inability to think of gender on a spectrum. All right. So there's a lot to, to unpack there uh, from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, first of all, so chromosomes, according to him, are, are insufficient. Well, no, they're totally sufficient to determine the measurable difference between male and female, man and, and woman. So chromosomes are, are totally sufficient, and we have been measuring this since we discovered chromosomes. And so to say that, you know, this is now a gender you've been assigned at birth, well, who is doing the assigning? Is it is it somebody who, is it a doctor that is just randomly and arbitrarily determining that they and their own wisdom and knowledge and sovereignty want to impose their will on a child that they that they helped uh, bring into the world through through the process of, of birth and that they will just arbitrarily determine and, and there's nothing else uh, that's relevant here? Well, or is it an observation? Are they observing that there is a difference between a male child and a female child? So chromosomes are, are totally sufficient, but, you know, the science apparently is not sufficient to Neil deGrasse Tyson to actually observe the truth about the reality to which we're presented. And this is insane to me, um, and, and it is it should be insane to everyone who believes in truth. And he goes on and he says, well, why do you care? Well, because we care about fact and truth. We care about discovering the reality to which God presents us and discovering facts and truth about the world around us. We didn't all just get together in his science world and say, you know, what would be great for society is to create arbitrarily by our own conventions and process what we would call natural law. Newton didn't create his laws of physics. He merely observed them and through a mathematical process, through the process of scientific discovery, identified how these principles already function in our world. We can't create our own reality. But that's literally what Neil deGrasse Tyson is arguing here. Because when he says that chromosomes are insufficient, that observation of the world around us doesn't matter. Because however we feel when we wake up in the morning, that's ultimately what matters. So according to him, if gravity makes me sad, and I wake up and I feel, you know, 80% or so like, you know what, I just don't want to be bound by the law of gravity today. Then apparently the United States is a land that gives me the right to pursue happiness. Well, the empirical world that imposes natural law upon me should be totally and utterly negated because I have a right to pursue happiness. And gravity makes me feel sad. That's absurd. But that's literally the argument that he's making in this clip by saying that chromosomes are insufficient to determine biological reality. And he's suggesting that whatever we want to portray, no matter my chromosomes, he said, how I feel, then that is the reality by which I should be able to live. And you cannot impose truth or fact into my little fantasy. This is insane. This is insane. And so I, th I think that Matt Walsh is rightly calling him an alleged science communicator uh, because he's not communicating anything about science. He's not communicating anything about reality. Feeling 
does not determine reality. No matter what I feel about truth, truth is imposed on me. And this is, again, a cultural lie by which all of these people who would excise God from society and say, God is not the sovereign, I am the sovereign, they want to manufacture reality in their own image. And they're doing this by saying that the pursuit of happiness somehow means that however I feel, that's how reality should be defined. And so if you apply that in any other context for anything else, including gender, but anything else, how I feel doesn't determine how the reality to which God presents me is going to confront me with reality. I have no choice but to live in reality. So Neil deGrasse Tyson is wrong. Gender is not a spectrum. And and yes, my inability to think of gender on a spectrum is because gender isn't a spectrum. And I don't believe in fantasy and in his reality that he's trying to arbitrarily generate. No, of course I'm going to say no to that. So it's not my inability to think of gender on a spectrum. It's his inability to grasp reality and to promote truth. So all of this is negating God's sovereignty because God, for his own sovereign purposes, has created the world and imposed upon us his reality and his truth. We are bound by natural law, moral law, the truth of God. And yes, we can make some decisions, but certain things are totally out of our control. Intrinsic characteristics that once, according to even the alleged science communicators, included gender, would be we can't control our sex, the way that we were born. We can't control when we were born. But another individual, and this is my third ridiculous cultural mockery of God story for the day. Um, I'm not sure if this is a satirical clip or this person is actually being serious. But uh, this particular person on an Instagram reel is talking about suing parents for being born because parents did not attempt through uh, witches and mediums and other uh, spiritual mumbo-jumbo to communicate with a person but with their child before they decided to bring the child into the world. I mean, it's, it's total and utter nonsense. But this is, again, trying to say that we should have ultimate control over our reality, even things like when we were born. And all of these things, they're trying purposefully to negate God's sovereignty and his will that he imposed in our lives by when we were born, what what sex we are born, and other identifying and intrinsic characteristics of human beings, because that is his will for us, and we cannot escape the reality to which we're presented. So listen to this uh, this person and this satirical clip on Instagram. This is cut one. I sued my parents for having me without my permission. So my parents that I sued, they contributed to, you know, conceiving me and my mother that raised me, she gave birth to me. um, And that's why I sued them because I did not consent to being here. Like I was unaware that I was going to have to grow up and get a job 
um, to support myself. And I, there, I just didn't consent to that. They didn't try to contact me in any way before I was born to see if I actually wanted to be here. Um, and that's why I sued them. Now, it's different. Like, I know I've said it's, like, unethical to have children before. But it's different when you adopt because it's not my fault that they're here. I'm just trying to be a good person and, like, help them out. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, if you are pregnant right now, you need to go, you need to hire a psychic medium and ask your child if they actually want to be here. Um, but keep in mind, if they don't, you, you need to terminate. Otherwise, they will sue you. Because I'm making that my life mission, to teach children to sue their parents so they don't have to work. <laughs> teach children to sue their parents because they so that they don't have to work because you know we didn't consent to being here well yeah god created that is why you were here and i'm sorry that you think that work is somehow this terrible thing that we have to do in life uh to actually pursue happiness to uh you know to come full circle with neil degrasse tyson but of course you didn't consent to being here. You are created by God who wants to know you and come into a saving relationship with you. And that is the purpose and ultimate fulfillment of man. But do you see how the culture is trying intentionally to completely distort reality, to negate God's sovereignty? And whether or not this person is actually serious, uh, this is this is kind of the flip side of the abortion argument that leftists are actually perpetuating to say, if you don't want the child in your sovereignty as a pregnant woman, as a mother or father or both of you, but usually it's, you know, it's the woman's choice according to them, then reality for that human being made in God's image is totally up to your discretion and your sovereignty. And you hold life or death for that child. That is utterly negating God from the process. It's it's utterly absurd. And we have to, as Christians, know what the world is teaching so that we can negate these lies of the culture. If we are so myopically focused just on politics and what's happening in Washington, D.C., we are missing all of this. Because everybody on Instagram, all of these Gen Zers that are listening to PETA and all of these other things, they are getting indoctrinated with these lies. We have to know this is happening. We have to know the truth and we have to push back. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back in. Uh, during the break, Rich wrote in and said that PETA can also be defined as uh, people for especially tasty animals. I like that definition as well, uh, Rich. That's great. So if you want to uh, contact me and my team, you can always write in Jenna at AFR.net. Always appreciate hearing from you, especially when uh, you have other great ways that uh, we can talk about PETA. So people eating tasty animals or people for especially tasty animals. I like that. All right. Well, in this last segment here, I want to turn to uh, growing in our knowledge, um, not only of the Lord and of truth and of his legitimate authority that he delegates, as we have talked about on the show, uh, into three institutions or jurisdictions, which is our civil government, family government, church government, 
So as we grow in that knowledge, we have to understand then how our civil government is working and grow in our education and knowledge of our system of government so that we can best utilize the tools of civil government that are at our disposal and we can continue to advance a more moral and upright society. So I wanted to just in this last segment um, kind of go through the nuts and bolts of our U.S. Constitution, because um, a lot of times and as we've talked about on this program before, uh, when you hear in the mainstream media this term constitutional or unconstitutional, generally what the person is saying, and especially if that person happens to be a Democrat, uh, what they're saying is, I like this particular policy or action of the government, or I don't. And that to them is the difference between constitutional versus unconstitutional, is just whether I think the government should or should not take this particular action or policy. Well, that's not an accurate definition. Obviously, the U.S. Constitution says what it says. Uh, the text should be interpreted according to an originalist view, meaning that there is an author of this document. That author provided uh, the intent. We have to defer to the author's intent, not just what we want the text to mean, but what the author intended for the text to mean. We have to put it into context with the other text around it. We can't proof text, meaning lifting a word or phrase out of the Constitution and then building a doctrine around it and basically perverting it into oblivion to make a one word or phrase in that document mean whatever we want it to mean. Who does that sound like? Well, the Supreme Court um, and the leftists that want to do that. So we have to read this document according to the principles of originalism. And um, in my book, The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution, which you can get um, on you know Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever, um, I have a whole chapter in there about uh, the principles of originalism and interpretation of text. And a lot of these um, actually mirror the hermeneutic for how um, theologians and, and pastors encourage uh, Christians to read the Bible, because the Bible is also a written document that has an author. The author imposed his intent and we have to read this in context. All of these principles of interpretation are true for any written instrument. Um, this is true also for the nature of contracts, uh, contracts disputes, uh, statutory construction. A lot of litigation in the realm of law surrounds interpretation and meaning of terms. And we get totally off course if there is a misunderstanding, miscommunication between terms, or if one party or a reader misunderstands or intentionally perverts the meaning of the the document, uh, the written instrument that they are reading and intending to interpret. Um, there's actually a really great case, and, and the fellow lawyers uh, out there who are listening will, will remember this from law school. I always uh, called it, my professor called it the, the chicken case. And um, it was this case where there was a contract that was written uh, for the purchase of chickens by a United States company. And I think that the other party was was German. Um, but in the interpretation of the contract, there was a different word that the Germans used for these particular chickens, depending on their size and weight. And so you would think, and we as Americans using the English language, would think that chicken means chicken. Like, how, how can there possibly be a misconstruction of chicken? 
Well, there is when you uh, have a different language that has several different terms that mean different things and apparently are referring to a different type of chicken. So this all came down to, in litigation, what is the definition of chicken in this particular contract? And what uh, the court ultimately held in that case is that there was no meeting of the minds. There was essentially miscommunication and there was no contract that was enforceable because the parties both understood that term chicken in the contract differently. And, and so all of this uh, to say that we have to understand our terms, we have to have proper definitions. The left intentionally tries to obfuscate that. They try to read into the text of our written instrument, our highest law of the land, uh, the U.S. Constitution, and read into it intentionally false meaning or different terms. I mean, this is what Neil deGrasse Tyson, what we're talking about in the last segment, when he talks about, you know, doesn't I read somewhere that we can pursue happiness. Of course, that's in the Declaration of Independence. But, you know, he's totally perverting that out of context. And he's lifting that phrase and applying it to his own feelings about the gender spectrum and trying to advance this notion, ultimately, that we can arbitrate our own reality. It's totally absurd. But that's what the left does when they're talking about the U.S. Constitution. So that's why originalism matters. That's why the interpretation and meaning of text matters. That's why it's important to actually go back and read the text of the U.S. Constitution so that we don't just understand the Constitution and our law through the doctrines that the Supreme Court or opinions and case law have perpetuated. Um, A lot of us are familiar with the so-called Establishment Clause. Well, the Establishment Clause has a much broader context, uh, has a meaning within the First Amendment that is part of the entire Constitution, part of the Bill of Rights, and we have to understand that in context. We can't just say, well, oh, the Establishment Clause is whatever the Supreme Court says that it is, and go by those doctrines instead of the literal text of the written instrument. So it is incumbent upon us as Christians, as conservatives, to understand our law, understand not only God's authority and what he says about the law and its dominance, its enforcement power in the empirical world around us, his natural law. We have to understand who he is. We have to understand his nature and character. Uh, Because his legitimacy, his authority is ultimately then through a delegation of that authority to his three jurisdictions of authority provides legitimacy when those institutions are acting in accordance with his character and nature and truth. So when we look at our U.S. Constitution, the left never wants to talk about any of that. They just want to take these words and phrases and actually abide by a totally different constitution than the document that currently sits at the National Archives in Washington, D.C. They don't actually even want to look at that document. They want us to be under a totally separate canon, which is the thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of interpretation of the constitution. And this is where, if you ask any lawyer, 
uh, when when I went to law school, we didn't read the actual text of the Constitution. We read everything that the Supreme Court has interpreted the Constitution to mean. And that's where we find ourselves at this point in American history, is that we are actually under a whole set of other documents besides our U.S. Constitution, and it's wrong. We should not be saying that there is a different superseding law, which is the interpretation of the Constitution by uh, these nine unelected uh, bureaucrats that are currently sitting on the U.S. Supreme Court bench. But that's what lawyers generally advocate, even if they don't know that, even if they're not necessarily aware that that is how lawyers are indoctrinated in law school to continue to perpetuate the profession of lawyering is to look not at what the Constitution says, but what the Supreme Court has interpreted the Constitution to mean. So we need to be smarter than that. And we need to be uh, better advocates for our civil government. Um, We also need to be better advocates for our church government and our family government. And we need to define those jurisdictions and their limited authority uh, under God properly. And and that's a whole other show talking about the, the jurisdiction of the family, jurisdiction of the church. But when we talk about the jurisdiction of civil society, um, in any culture or any government system uh, anywhere in world history and human history, systems of government can look different. Legitimacy of government and how government acts according to God uh, is always the same in terms of how we define legitimacy. Legitimacy is only whether that particular system of civil government, no matter how it looks, is acting in accordance with God's ultimate authority, character, and nature. Because truth never changes. The person of God, truth, again, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that delegated authority to civil governments isn't going to look different just depending on the system, just like how uh, families look, the authority of parents, and whether they are exercising their authority in a legitimate manner, that may, the application may look different depending on the circumstances of that particular family. But the authority and the nature of the legitimacy of that authority isn't going to change. So when we look at our particular system, we have to know why our system looks the way that it is. And we have to say, okay, these are the tools that our founders provided us so that we can better create a more moral and upright society and have the most legitimacy possible in a human system. And obviously, uh, in eternity and in the new kingdom, uh, God, the sovereign King Jesus, will be the perfect sovereign. And I can't wait for that day because King Jesus is ultimately the best uh, form of civil government because he is perfect. Man will never be. But until the return of Christ, um, until he returns or calls us home, we have to deal with humanity. Again, going back to Genesis 1 through 3, because if you get that wrong, you get everything else wrong. And so if we go back to the fallen state of man, as our founders said in the Federalist Papers, if you give... Uh, you have to give the authority, enough authority and power to the civil government to enforce law, 
but you can't give it so much power that it infringes upon the freedom and liberty of man. So there's always this inherent tension point. So what our founders brilliantly did in our U.S. Constitution is separated powers, limited powers into three distinct branches on the federal level and then provided for state sovereignty in our federalist system and then reserved all powers not specifically given to the federal government through the U.S. Constitution or states by their state constitutions reserved to we the people. We the people, by the way, we are not the sovereign in our American system. God is the sovereign. We the people simply have elements and features of democracy within our constitutional structure and our constitutional republic. We can elect people on the state and federal level to then exercise those specific limited powers toward protecting and preserving our rights. So we're a constitutional republic with democratic features, as my good friend Abraham Hamilton III always loves saying on his show. And I think that that's a great uh, summation and explanation of our system. So our system is, is on the federal level and our U.S. Constitution is very simple. Article one is the legislative branch. Article two is the executive branch. Article three is the judiciary. Article four is the states, how states come into the union and uh, everything about the states. Article five is how do we amend this? If one branch is, uh, is overriding their power, is exercising too much power, is infringing, then we can change the provisions of our U.S. Constitution, because unlike the word of God that is inerrant sufficient, our Constitution was written by men. It wasn't divinely inspired, and therefore, yeah, they might have gotten some things wrong. Or we may, in 2023 and beyond, want to redistribute some of that limited power. We can do that through the Article 5 process. Article 6 is simply the legal status of the Constitution, and Article 7 is ratification. That's it. So when you look at Article 1 and the legislative branch, all legislative authority on the federal level is given to Congress, not to the executive, the president, the executive agencies. They can't legislate. They cannot create law. Neither can the judicial branch. The judiciary cannot write law from the bench. We have to know some of these very, very basic principles about the structure of our government. And then our Bill of Rights, our amendments are saying, hey, Congress, just in case you weren't clear on your limited power in Article 1, Section 8 that gives that subject matter of what Congress can legislate on, in case you weren't clear, here's the stuff you can't touch. What is that? Well, that's the First Amendment. That's all those five provisions, freedom of speech, freedom of association for exercise of religion, freedom of the press, right to petition the government for redress. They can't infringe upon those. They can't touch those. It is incumbent upon Christians living in our civil society to understand our constitution so we can protect a moral and upright society. Make it a great weekend. I will see you Monday. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.